This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Knowledge at Wharton on Business Radio. Here's your host, Dan Loney. We have seen a wave of advertisements on our TV screens the last couple of years for a wide range of drugs that can help you uh, with a, a seemingly endless amount of maladies out there. But just how much of an impact does that advertising have in the minds of consumers when they head to their doctor for treatment? The Wharton School recently released a paper that looks at that effect specifically. The co-authors on that paper, Michael Sinkinson and Amanda Stark, join us here in the studio to talk about it. Thanks very much for both of you for joining us. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having us. Great to have you. Uh, this is a big market. I mean, the, the 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 amount of advertising is crazy. It's in the billions of dollars that we're talking about here. For the AMA specifically, their concern is is what the influence that these adverti- advertisements are having on consumers, and maybe the consumer that can't fully understand exactly what this medication is all about. Right. But let's be clear here. A lot of the advertising that's happening in these markets is actually directed at doctors themselves. So while there's a substantial advertising budget for most pharmaceutical forms, only about 10% or so of that advertising budget is those ads that you see on TV. So if you think about how ubiquitous those ads are, imagine what your doctor is bombarded with on a daily basis. So what the AMA is targeting is actually a relatively small proportion of ads, and they're those ads that potentially provide information to consumers or potentially steer consumers from one drug to another within a category. And that is kind of the focus of, of your study, specifically, I guess, really looking at the cholesterol area where, where you're talking about Lipitor and Crestor, correct, Mike? That's right. That's right. So we actually are looking at these anti-cholesterol drugs and trying to figure out uh, what they are doing to the market. Um, so like Amanda said, you know, a lot of what pharma companies do is, is selling to doctors. They have a big sales force, but then there's this small part of their spending that is directed towards consumers. Yeah. Um, and you might think these ads could be good, right? They could actually encourage people to go talk to their doctor and get their cholesterol checked. And then if you have a drug like uh, Crestor or Lipitor that can lower cholesterol and has been, has been shown to be pretty effective at you know, reducing rates of heart attacks, um, that might be a good thing. Uh, the worry, though, is that what if these ads are not just about getting people to talk to their doctor? What if it's really getting people to ask for a specific drug? Right. And so the AMA is concerned that these drugs are having more of that effect. And obviously the concern on that part is that you're, you're, you're targeting advertising on one particular item when obviously there is, there's a competitor out there and there may be two or three other generic options that could be out there as well, correct? Exactly. And so what insurance companies will often do is they'll often put structures in place that attempt to steer consumers towards one product or another within a class. For example, your insurance company might really want you to take generic simvastatin, which for all intents and purposes is very similar to Lipitor, but a a fraction of the cost. And so there are a, a lot of structures in place that tend to funnel consumers towards certain products within a category Direct-to-consumer advertising is only one of those those um, potential funnels. So go ahead. And, and in fact, I mean, that's one thing we find is that a lot of consumers do go talk to the doctor about, say, Lipitor and walk away with a prescription for 
uh, another drug in the same class, uh, potentially a lower priced one. And so that is, you know, that's a, a kind of positive effect of this advertising. Right. right. We think these are people that the doctor agreed should be on one of these drugs, uh, and they are now getting that medication. So the focus is 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 just as importantly on the doctors themselves in terms of what medications that they are kind of leaning towards. And in this case, as you mentioned, whether you go with that branded drug or you go with a generic drug, correct? Exactly. And there's a large literature outside of our particular paper thinking about those types of effects. Um, and so you might be worried that targeting doctors clearly has an effect, otherwise the firms wouldn't do it, yeah. um, and has an effect of steering patients towards certain kinds of drugs rather than others. I think that's an important point to remember. While we are talking about the potential of these advertising, um, uh, of this advertising to expand the market, to get more people to get their cholesterol checked, let's not forget that these are profit-maximizing firms doing this advertising, right? They're not doing it for the good of your health. They're doing it to improve their bottom line. And so if they're advertising, it must have some kind of positive impact on their sales. But it is kind of, when you mention it, you forget about it to some respect because you see all of the advertising that is out there right now. And pretty much, you know, if you've watched a sporting event or a Super Bowl the last, what, four or five years, you've seen a variety of ads for either Crestor or Lipitor you know, during the Super Bowl, uh, the, the amount of, of secondary advertising that these doctors are having to deal with and influence from the salespeople that are coming by their offices, no doubt, on a, on a weekly basis, that has to be incredibly large. The nice thing is that you can now look at your doctor uh, and figure the, out that influence due to, to sunshine laws. So you can actually yeah. take a look at the data and see, you know, where your physician is receiving payments from. Yeah, and so that that channel of advertising obviously is, is is a lot of money. But again, to Amanda's point, firms wouldn't be doing the direct consumer ads if they didn't earn a good return on them yeah. uh, as well. And so that's why we're we're kind of being bombarded. The ads work, right? People are responding to them. People are talking to their doctor about these drugs, and they're potentially could be steered towards a specific drug in a class. And obviously, if if this type of advertising is cut out by the AMA. I'm guessing the the overall benefit also is the bottom line in terms of the cost that people will ha be having to pay, you know, f potentially for their drugs. Or is there really not as much a, a link between the two? We we uh, um, the link to prices is a bit more difficult. Um, I would say that uh, one thing to keep in mind is that firms tend to stop advertising when their drug goes off patent. Okay. And so if you look at a category like anti-cholesterol drugs, you know, Crestor's patent actually expires in another year or so. Uh, and so you might say there's going to be no more ads to say, get your cholesterol checked. And that could be bad, right? right? Um, we, we want people to be checking their cholesterol and be watching their health. Uh, and so th there is kind of a, a question of what happens when these ads kind of go away uh, in a market. And, you know, the AMA is bringing this up, but this is a question around the world. Mm -hmm. um, most countries don't allow this. So most countries say drug pharmaceutical companies cannot advertise their yeah. drugs to consumers. It's really just uh, the U.S. is the, kind of the biggest market that allows it. So it is you know, a regulatory question is are the, the benefits of these ads worth potentially the cost of these ads to the system? You also I kind of mentioned in there uh, linking in how uh, the, the advertising and the marketing of some of these drugs also it's kind of similar to uh, the, the political process. Explain how that, that kind of all plays out as well. Yeah, so this is going to get a little technical for a second, but the basic idea is that we're worried that firms are going to advertise in the markets where they think the advertising will be the most effective, say. Sure. Um, so you need a random reason that we see more or less advertising of statins in a market. And it turns out that one 
one particular random reason that might happen is because there are a lot of political ads in the market. Okay. So I'm from Ohio, and I never go home in the October of an election year anymore, <laughs> right? Why don't I go home? Because watching the ads for the political candidates is just it, – it, it rots your brain. Um, so when I'm seeing all those ads for political candidates, or more importantly, when my parents are seeing those ads, what they aren't seeing is ads for Crestor and Lipitor. And that's the kind of variation that we can use. We can then follow my parents and say, are they more or less likely to fill a, a prescription for a statin in the months that follow that change in the market, right? So basically what the political process allows us to do is it, it gives us a nice little natural experiment that lets us think about what happens when, for random reasons, you don't see these ads, right? So Mike pointed out that, you know, when Crestor goes off patent, that we'll, we will probably not see very many Crestor ads anymore. But right. that's correlated with a bunch of other things that are going on, right? Their prices are changing, insurance is changing. And so this gives us a nice little window when I'm not seeing statin ads for reasons that are uncorrelated with anything else going on in the market. But even if, you know, when Crestor goes, you know, off patent uh, in, what, a year or so, uh, there will be some other drug for some other malady that will be in there unless the AMA does get this, uh, this basically this pass to, to shut this down. We, we were only looking at statins in this one particular paper, but you, you're hitting on the right point. There are a lot of different drugs being advertised right now. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, firms are also constantly innovating. There is a new kind of class of anti-cholesterol medications that's being developed. So that may be advertised, um, when, you know, after Crestor goes off patent. But, yeah, we, we've kind of, you know, picked one market where we think the drugs are pretty effective, yeah. pretty good. There's been a lot of clinical trials done on them. And we zeroed in on that to kind of look at how the ads affect the market. But there are... Um, you know, these are some of the larger advertisers, but they are not all of the largest advertisers in the pharmaceutical space. And so you might think that in different uh, product categories, you might have different results from um, the advertising. But we're also, go ahead, I'm sorry. I think this is an important point. So if you think that a drug is fairly cost effective, as, as a health economist would say it, if you think that the benefits far outweigh what we're paying for it, yeah. uh, then certainly from a public policy perspective, you want more people taking it. Mm -hmm. Okay, uh, And there is where we think that the advertising might have a positive effect. But we think that there might be a lot of heterogeneity across different drug classes. So we've picked a particularly cost effective drug. But if you're looking at a drug, uh, actually, the new cholesterol drugs are good example where NICE, the um, the cost effectiveness group in the UK, is refusing to pay for it because yeah. they don't think they're very cost effective, then the advertising might not be as good from a social perspective. What is the when you're talking about these ads playing and, and people seeing them and if they have a, a visit to their doctor scheduled within the next you know month, at, you know, as they see these ads, what's really the effect then on that relationship between the consumer and the doctor? I mean, is, is, are you seeing more consumers that are saying, hey, listen, you know, I saw this ad about blah, 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 and, and, you know, is this a good option for me? And then the doctor is kind of, you know, put right in the middle, correct? That's right. The doctor is kind of the gatekeeper here, right? You can't just go buy uh, a prescription drug. You have to get a prescription first. Yeah. Um, and so there is kind of a push versus pull question of uh, how does that kind of work? We don't look at that specifically. That's kind of a black box for us. We're going to yeah. look at the, the net effect of all of this. But you're right. I mean, uh, it, it's very different than, say, 20 years ago when there was no drug advertising or when drug ads were very kind of strictly regulated and you know, couldn't really give much information what they were doing. That's, you know, you, those kind of patients going into the doctor are going to be talking very differently than today when yeah. they're kind of primed uh, by an ad 
to say, ask your doctor for, say, Crestor by name, right? Yeah, right. They're, they're primed to go in and actually kind of uh, talk to the doctor in a specific way. So I, I do think if you're a doctor, this could this could change a bit of your kind of relationship with your patients. And I'm sure that's part of the AMA's concern. What was it that changed specifically going back, you know, 20, 30 years that all of a sudden we started to see these these drugs being advertised. I mean, there was realistically, I, I'm guessing, no regulation at that point, and, and in some respects, an open door for for these drug companies that maybe they hadn't walked through before. So basically, what happened in 1997 is that the regulation changed. So before 1997, okay. you could basically broadly describe a problem, like you could say high cholesterol is a big problem, and you should probably get your cholesterol checked. But if you named a specific product, you had then had to go through all the side effects and it basically would have made for a terrible ad on TV. So after 1997, the regulation gets looser and over time you see more and more drug advertising and so you've seen a big uptick over time. Now there's other things going on in the market as well, such as the baby boomers aging and yeah. us expanding prescription drug coverage in the Medicare program that are going to create an, a bigger market for pharmaceuticals and as that market grows, again, you're going to see more uh, more and more advertising. So uh, the big thing is the change in regulation that sort of starts the the ball rolling, but multiple changes over the last 20 years have led to the the big increase in ads. Interesting. Lipitor was one of the big advertisers kind of after this change. They, yeah. uh, the, talking to people in the industry, though, they also think that they've gotten much better at these ads, right? So they were kind of new to this in the late 90s, early 2000s, uh, and they've kind of honed their production techniques and so forth on these ads to make them more effective or they believe more effective. And so that's maybe why I get another reason we're seeing more and more of them is these guys are just getting better at doing this yeah. now they've been doing it for so long. Well, and they've even changed a little bit of their philosophy, at least one or two of them I've seen, uh, instead of having the generic couple walking through a field you know, in terms of the advertisement, there's one drug that's being advertised out there and has been over the last few months that has Arnold Palmer involved in it. It has a fairly well-known race car driver involved in it. And it also has Kevin Nealon, the, the comedian in it, you know, and, and so people probably know which one I'm talking about right off the top. So, you know, these companies are, are, are becoming even more aggressive in terms of, of trying to make that connection with the generic consumer. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a slippery slope, though. you got to be a little bit careful because there, there are still pretty tight regulations. Um, and there have been examples in the past of the FDA fining companies because their ads were kind of breaking the rules. So there, yeah. was, there was actually a Lipitor ad back in 2008 that was uh, pulled from the air because of this reason. Uh, and even more recently, there was a, uh, a controversy with a, um, a, uh, a drug for pregnant women that uh, had a bit of a celebrity spokesperson problem. Yeah. And they were kind of warned that, hey, guys, you still have to play by the rules here. There are rules. Uh, even though they've been loosened from 20 years ago, there are still uh, rules in place to protect consumers. We're talking here uh, with Michael Sinkinson of, uh, and Amanda Stark of uh, the Wharton School of the Health Management Department. Uh, they uh, put together a report uh, uh, looking at the effect of direct-to-consumer ads uh, on consumers and uh, the process uh, of the medical community right now. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. If, if the AMA is successful whatever time frame we're talking or probably at least a couple of years I would think to be able to get this bush how does that change the how does that change the pharma industry at that point that's a great question um I think there are 
a couple of different ways that that could change the pharma industry. One, they'll have to rethink their marketing strategy overall. The great irony is that that could lead to even more advertising towards, uh, you know, geared towards physicians. So more junkets and more yeah. pens. Um, on top of that, it may... Bags of bagels brought yes, into the office. Yes, lots and... of lunches for the, for the front office staff. Uh, on top of that, they might also need to think their relationships with insurers or their pricing strategies as well. So I think, you know, this is a big enough part of their strategy overall that eliminating this channel for marketing would lead to changes in their overall strategy. I mean, I, I fully agree with all this, but one of the points that's been raised in this discussion, um, I believe there's a political candidate actually who came out with a platform position on this a couple months ago. Mm -hmm. um, one of the concerns was this spending on direct consumer advertising is crowding out R&D. They should be spending that money on sure. R&D instead. And I think that's not the strongest argument. I don't think uh, right now, if you know Pfizer want, has a promising research project, I don't think they're saying, sorry, we can't do it because we're spending money on consumer ads. So I think that's a bit of a red herring to say they should be spending this money elsewhere. Yeah. They're not really constrained right now in terms of their R&D. Pfizer's not worried about anything <laughs> except that deal that they're going to have with Allergan coming up and moving their offices uh, overseas. But it is interesting because... Uh, you also not only have the effect that, that TV advertising have, and I know this is a little bit off of what you did, but you also have the effect that all of this advertising has on the internet these days, which is a totally new dynamic within the last 10 years or so. I think the targeting potential of the internet is really what they're focusing on. Being able to get the right ad to the right person yeah. is, you know, when we think of television ads, it's kind of like, you know, the, the, the massive, the most massive mass media, right? right. If you air an ad on CNN, everyone sees it. Uh, with the internet, though, you can really try and zero in on who's the right person that I'm trying to target with this ad. And so I think that's going to be a huge growth area for these guys going forward. So then is the concern uh, of the TV advertising maybe even one that's starting even to go away just because of the internet? I mean, it's still obviously there will be situations where companies would want to advertise on TV. I said the Super Bowl. That's you know, probably the number one area to do that. But because of the influence of the internet and, as you said, the targeting... You know, maybe is this is this an area that might even start to wean just on its on its own nature? Well, I mean, imagine a drug that's really only suitable for a small part of the population. It's never going to make sense to have a Super Bowl ad for that drug. Sure. Um, and so, in some sense, that that drug would never have advertised to consumers at all. Right. And now, with the internet, you are going to see ads for that drug targeted specifically to a you know a very small subset of people. Um, and again, you know, that's not necessarily a bad thing. That that could be great for those people to learn yeah. that a treatment exists for their some you know chronic condition. And furthermore, to the extent that it makes drugs that target a smaller population more profitable, and we think that there is sort of an underdevelopment of R&D in those areas, that could be a very good thing. Now, I'd like to add that internet advertising is a growing fraction of the ads that we are seeing, um, but that... TV is still by far the biggest media, and I think it's important to remember that these ads are targeting broad swaths of the population, and in particular are targeting a population that is maybe a little bit older than the target demographic sure. for, for some other products and services. So when we think about advertising for statins, for example, we're thinking about a group of people, you know, 50s and up, and, and often the Medicare population, and yeah. this is a, a group for which... Uh, TV advertising is still extremely relevant. You also talk in this about just the link between uh, the advertising of one product and maybe the the doctor or the or the patient ending up with the other, which is an interesting kind of link in this process as well. Correct? Yeah, I mean, we refer, it's referred to spillovers in the the literature, and that's exactly right. So you might think that. Um, 
yeah, I might advertise, but you might reap the benefits, yeah. right? Um, and so that's a concern. Uh, in, in the particular setting we're looking at, it doesn't seem like uh, firms are as concerned about that. Again, they try to hone their message very specifically to try and kind of limit that. Uh, although it does happen a lot, and this is not unique to drug ads. Every product category has sure. this issue. You know, beer ads can increase the whole market for beer, not just spe the specific brand that's advertising. Yeah. And we should say as well that there are some important competitive effects here. So if you see an ad for Crestor, you might end up with an older generic drug, but what you're probably not going to end up taking is Lipitor. So what we see in the data yeah. is that when you see an ad for one firm, one of the big advertised drugs, you're, you're less likely to get the other branded drug. So there is some important competitive effects there. And what might, what might happen there is you might be worried that I'm worried that Mike's going to advertise his product so I advertise my product a little bit more. But then he sees that I'm going to advertise a little yeah. bit more and we end up in an arms race. Uh, so here's a situation where if, if you think the ads are overall a good thing, that might be good that you get extra advertising from this competitive effect. If instead you think that we're just wasting resources offsetting each other's ads, you might be very worried about that effect. But it is interesting that that for some people, and you said that the, the age of the people that maybe are, are, are more affected by cholesterol medication is obviously a factor in this as well. But I, I think there are a lot of people out there that would agree that for the, the patient, for the consumer to have the the understanding or at least have a little bit of an understanding on what the product is, you know, associating the name with the, the, the potential disease, that that's a good thing. That's that's a that's a good thing for the, the people to have that information to have at their fingertips. They're never going to know everything. They're never going to know all the side effects. But that's the job of the doctor to be able to do that. Correct? Exactly. I mean, and this is this is the positive effect that you know a lot of the discussions kind of ignored this, assumed these drug ads are bad in the first place. But actually, they're it's great for people to learn that treatments exist and that can improve their lives. Um, it it. It's no more open question, you know, like Amanda said, if the drug is very expensive, that might be more complicated. But first order, just giving patients information should be a good thing. Um, so having a, a more educated patient population can be good. Of course, if they're fighting with their doctor, then over, you know, give me the this specific drug that might not be so productive. But as you said, Amanda, a lot of this does, at least right now with the with the um, with the the medications for cholesterol, you're talking about a segment of the population, at least right now, a lot of them are in that Medicare generation at this point, correct? Yes. So let's be clear. When we get these people on, on Crestor or Liptor, these are your tax dollars and mine. Now, if yeah. we think that that means that they're less likely to have a heart attack and we'll save some money down the road, then maybe that's a very good thing. But I think that's an open an open question. Right. But that's part, I mean, unfortunately, that's that's part of what our system is all about these days. And that's, you know, exactly what, uh, what, what we've been used to doing now for, you know, how many years at this point, that that Medicare is going to be part of this system going forward, period. I mean, the cost of treating someone who has a heart attack is, is very high. Yeah. So again, you know, I, to Amanda's point, preventing heart attacks is good for everyone, not just that patient. It sure. saves the system money. Uh, and so if there's a, a cost-effective drug that can do that, that's great. Um, and we should be wanting to pay for it. You know, we should want that would be a good use of our tax dollars if otherwise the tax dollars would go towards treating actual acute uh, heart attacks. I guess the other the, kind of one of the next areas to, to look at is going to be the effect uh, of this advertising if it stays around on the next generation, on millennials, on Gen X's as we you know, as they get a little bit older to see how this affects them as well. Correct. 
Yes. So I would say um, moving away from our results in our paper, uh, big drug categories in that group are going to be oral contraceptives and drugs for anxiety and depression. Again, we think these are drugs that have a lot of benefits. Um, Maybe in the case of uh, drugs for depression and anxiety, there may be some match value of getting the right people the right drugs. But nonetheless, this is going to be an ongoing issue as various cohorts move through the life cycle um, and are more used to being these more engaged patients who walk into the doctor's office and say, hey, I saw an ad for an IUD. What is that? And is that the right option for me? Yeah. Michael? No, I agree. I think millennials are going to be, uh, you know, they're already marketed to quite heavily. Uh, I think going forward, you're exactly right. The fact that they can be reached, the fact that they are, say, more engaged in the Internet where they can be targeted more effectively might make it more profitable to kind of uh, develop drugs that that kind of target them and then actually advertise pretty heavily to them. Um, we'll, we'll we'll see going forward if that happens. To your point, it might be less on TV for that age group. Yeah. Um, but we'll see what happens. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.